Hello, long time no publish, I know, but I promise I did have a, at least what I consider a somewhat reasonable excuse. I had a baby. Yep, a little boy or a big boy. He was almost nine pounds, born a week early. Wait, courtesy, of course, of gestational diabetes. Although he was thankfully smaller than his older brother, who came into the world three years earlier at 10 pounds, eight ounces. So, you know, almost nine pounds was kind of a win, I would say. Say hello, baby brother. The baby is doing well. His older brother just loves him to pieces. But that's why there's been a bit of a hiatus (laughs) in creating these episodes. And... I mean, it has made me think, actually, as I did have longer than usual to work on this episode, that as we found out that we were pregnant, we were faced with a few decisions that many of you have probably also faced during these kinds of circumstances. One of those decisions was whether or not to do genetic testing during the first trimester to see if the baby potentially had any, you know, chromosomal abnormalities, specifically to see if he had Down syndrome. First up, a report in the New England Journal of Medicine could revolutionize prenatal screening for Down syndrome and other disorders. This prenatal testing is pretty common these days, especially if you're considered a high-risk pregnancy, as I always am because, you know, I wasn't able to have children until I was older than 35, which apparently makes me an old maid in terms of pregnancy. But concerning this test, there are typically two parts to it. There's a blood draw to test protein and HCG levels, and then there's an ultrasound to more or less examine the size of the back of the baby's neck, which can help indicate if the baby has something like Down syndrome. Doctors in the area that I live in often recommend these tests be done, and the decision to do these tests is a personal one that is made by each individual or couple. For me, I'm one of those people who likes to have as much data as possible so that it can help me know how to plan ahead. So I personally opted in to do the tests with both of my pregnancies. But honestly, the decision of whether or not to have the tests done It's not really nearly as important as the decision that comes after the test results come in. What would I do if my pregnancy tested positive for Down syndrome or some abnormality? Would I do anything differently? In my case, the tests for both of my boys came back normal and both were born without any major chromosomal abnormalities, at least as far as we know. But it's probably safe to say that anyone listening to this right now has interacted with somebody probably who was born with any of these chromosomal conditions or knows someone who has a close family member with Down syndrome. And there's no denying that those interactions are different, even memorable. But how have those interactions been memorable? How have we walked away feeling once we've spoken to someone with some kind of health or cognitive challenge? Why do we remember those interactions at all? I mean, are they really all that different? Today's story explores these questions brought to light when one family's unexpected circumstances ended up touching a community and beyond. I'm Jolie Hales, and this is Podsitivity. In the state of Wisconsin lives a 27-year-old man named Noah. Please welcome Noah with your hands and your voice to everybody. <laughs> but before we really meet Noah, his story begins with an important person in his life. 
My name is Kara Van Boren, and I currently am a regional trainer for a suicide prevention program in high schools called Sources of Strength. A national program that focuses on preventing youth suicide. What it does is teaches people they have strength and what to do when they're not feeling so strong. What do my peers do? How can I learn from them so that I don't get stuck and be in pain or sadness? But before her days working with sources of strength, Kara had worked in cancer centers, also spent time working at a local children's hospital, and other days working at a parent training information center where she helped parents navigate the Wisconsin school systems. But no matter what job she had, one continuing theme stood out. Kara liked to help people. So much so that she's made a living out of it. And when Kara isn't working... I like to read. You know, I'm usually in a Bible study at church. I'm kind of a crafty person, so my friends will call and say, hey, we're working on this project, you want to come over? Yep, you know... Like, I like to walk, listen to music. Um, I've been on the worship team at church. And her biggest hobby, you might say, is being a mom. A lot of my hobbies, I think, revolve around what my kids are still doing. Kara is the mother of three kids, two girls and a boy, who are all grown adults now. But it did take a couple decades of blood, sweat, and tears, hugs, and all those things that parents do to get them to that point. But before that, there was actually a time when Kara and her husband, Todd, thought that maybe they wouldn't be able to have any kids at all. We tried to have children for seven years. They could have had children. That's Todd. After years of being married, while Kara was working in radiation therapy at a cancer center and her husband worked in the autoglass business in a small town in New York State, Kara hadn't gotten pregnant and the doctors were starting to hint that children might not be in their forecast. Which was a bit of an emotional blow, since Kara had always pictured herself as being a mother. And now she might have to face a totally different future for herself than what she had always envisioned. But when she turned 29, after consulting with the right doctor who simply prescribed her a certain medication, she was elated to find out that against all earlier odds, she was in fact pregnant. And throughout her pregnancy, everything looked good. Both she and her baby were progressing well, with all signs pointing to the upcoming birth of a very healthy boy. They asked us, you know, if we wanted to do any of the prenatal testing, and we said no because it didn't matter to us. If we, if there was something we needed to know to have the right people in the delivery room, if there were um, respiratory or spina bifida, things like that, we would have known. We could have seen and, and told that through the ultrasound. So they decided to opt out of prenatal testing and instead just keep an eye on ultrasounds as the pregnancy progressed. And to their delight, all the ultrasounds were thankfully normal. Soon, Kara gave birth to a beautiful baby boy. They named him Noah, inspired by Noah in the Bible, a man of faith, Kara says, who was chosen by God, just as they felt their little baby was chosen for them. He's such a good boy. He slept the night before, all the way through the night, before my first day of work. I was so happy. Kara took six weeks of maternity leave before she had to go back to work at the cancer center. The daycare was right next to my office. And so I could leave my building at lunch, go see him, come back. Because, you know, at the end of the day, there's not a lot of time. And so he was spending all his time, all his great wake-up time with all these other people. And I wanted some, too. When Noah was about 10 weeks old, on a Friday evening, Kara went to pick him up from the daycare where she was met with some unexpected news. They said, Kara, we had a case of meningitis in the daycare, not in the infant room, but just to let you know, it's in the it was in the building. And we were like, 
Okay, what is that? I don't even know what that means for us, really. Meningitis can be especially scary for young babies because their immune systems aren't developed well enough to fight off infection. So Kara and Todd hoped their little guy had come away uninfected. But we got home, and around 10 o'clock at night, Noah spiked a fever. And I didn't know if it was an ear infection or meningitis. Like, it could have been anything. So we took him in, and um, they said the only way to rule out meningitis was to do a spinal tap. In case you're not familiar, a spinal tap is when a needle is inserted into the space between the vertebrae and the lower back in order to remove a sample of fluid that surrounds the spinal cord and the brain, which is then used to diagnose certain serious infections like meningitis or other problems with the central nervous system. Needless to say, the procedure is not fun for anyone, let alone a newborn baby who doesn't understand his surroundings yet. So they did a spinal tap on my sweet little boy. And um, when they brought him back to me, I, he, it must have been really horrible for him because he was crying. He was all red and, it, and the poor thing. So Kara just held him close, comforting the distressed little infant. I mean, at least the worst part was over for the little guy and they could soon go back home and then just wait for the meningitis test results to come back. But then, unexpectedly, one of the nurses came back into the room saying that the hospital wasn't quite done with them yet. The nurse said, And they need to do a little more blood work. And I said, oh no, no. You did blood work before he went in for his spinal tap. You did a spinal tap. He's done for the day. Like, this can't wait till tomorrow. What are you drawing? Kara could tell that this nurse didn't realize that Kara worked at that same hospital she did and that Kara understood blood draws and medical testing more than, like, the average person off the street. And when Kara asked the nurse what the blood draw was for, the nurse didn't have an answer for her. She said, well, I'm not really sure. Then don't come back till you are because you're not gonna poke my kid if you don't even know what you're doing. And so the lab tech comes in and she said, oh, I'm here to draw some blood from Noah. I'm like, exactly what are you drawing? And she's like, oh, I, I don't know. I said, I know for a fact you do because what color tube are you gonna put it in? They didn't wanna tell us. So that was a big, big, big fiasco. And I looked across the room at Todd and I said, something's going on, this is not normal. It was strange enough to Kara that the extra blood draw was being ordered, let alone the fact that no one would tell her why. Were they not there to check for meningitis, which would have been accomplished with that spinal tap they had just done? By that point, the doctor had gone home for the night and wasn't available to provide clarification. So when it became clear to the medical staff that Kara wasn't going to allow another blood draw without a clear stated purpose... They agreed to let Kara, Todd, and 10-week-old Noah go home, with the expectation that the doctor would call them in the next day or so. And when the doctor did call, they indeed got clarification. The doctor, who had been seeing Noah regularly since he was born, talked about what had happened when they had performed the spinal tap. She said, when Noah was in his spinal tap, he was crying so hard that one of the nurses just took a quick look at him and said, I, I know Noah. Kara brings him in here to visit a lot. Like, but does he have Down syndrome? And the doctor said, what? And then they looked at him and said, oh, he's got slanted eyes. And they looked at his palms of his hands. Apparently, those with Down syndrome often only have one crease in the palm of their hands instead of the two or three that most people have. And she said, well, just look at his face when he's crying. He kind of looks like he has Down syndrome. And she said, no, 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 because this was one of a group of five pediatricians saw him. And she was one of them. So she had given him a shot or seen him for something. And she's like, no, but 
but then they thought, she, so when she called me, she said, we're just gonna rule it out. We're just gonna get it out of our minds and be done with it. I'm sure he doesn't have it. He didn't have any other signs. He was um, developmentally so on track. Down syndrome. How could her little boy have Down syndrome? He was almost three months old. Wouldn't there have been some clear indication if he did in fact have such a condition? I mean, after all, almost all cases of Down syndrome are identified either before or at the time of birth, not 10 weeks later. Down syndrome is one of the most common chromosomal disorders out there, with around 6 million cases worldwide and around 200,000 cases in the United States in 2022. Because of how common it is, most people are familiar with Down syndrome in one way or another. But in case your interactions have been limited, Down syndrome is a genetic disorder that occurs when a cell divides abnormally and causes a baby to be born with an extra chromosome, resulting in lifelong intellectual disabilities and developmental delays, as well as physical health abnormalities like heart or gastrointestinal problems. The intensity level of symptoms does vary across individuals, and those symptoms can be mild, they can be severe, or they can be somewhere in between, and there is no known cure for the condition. You're either born with it or you're not. Physical symptoms can also include having a smaller head or a flatter face, shorter neck, slanted eyes, small ears, short fingers, small hands and feet, short height, and the single crease, as we mentioned earlier, in the palm of their hands, which nurses noticed on Noah when he was brought in to test for meningitis. And again, Noah was already 10 weeks old. If he truly had Down syndrome, it seemed logical that at least some of these physical symptoms would have been more evident beforehand. And I should take a moment to say, it is indisputable that raising a child with Down syndrome comes with challenges, even significant challenges in many cases. And with the availability of modern prenatal testing at the end of a first trimester that catches more than 99% of cases before birth, today, around 67% of all pregnancies in the United States with a Down syndrome diagnosis are terminated, leaving only a third of these pregnancies to continue to birth. For Kara and Todd, they opted out of prenatal testing because in their minds, they would have continued to a live birth regardless, and the test results wouldn't have changed how they would have moved forward. Still, 10 weeks after Noah was born, it seemed they didn't have to worry anymore about chromosomal abnormalities. They hadn't had any idea up until this point that anything could possibly be abnormal. But now, Kara and Todd knew why the medical team had wanted to do extra blood work. And now that they had a reason, Kara and Todd consented to the additional tests. If anything, it was best to rule out Down syndrome quickly so they could continue on with their lives because it would be ruled out, wouldn't it? So you're thinking you have a child that is perfectly healthy, has no complications at all, to now. So what's going through your head and you're a thousand miles away from home from everybody? Just the two of us. You talk about faith there. So they went ahead with the blood work and at the same time received word that Noah did not have meningitis. And while that was a bit of a relief, there were some bigger questions now looming overhead. Every minute of that time is just like anything now, like waiting to find out if I had cancer, waiting to find out if you had Down syndrome. The waiting is always the worst part, right? Once we know what we've got, we can make a plan and we can move forward. But that in that middle time is so hard, so hard for me. And I would go bounce back and forth between, yes, he does. No, he doesn't. How could he? Kara and Todd waited on edge for nearly two weeks. Then, a day before Noah's regularly scheduled checkup, 
the doctor called Kara. It was a Thursday afternoon, and Kara was working at the cancer center where she stepped into her office to take the call. He said, Kara, I can't believe I'm making this call, but Noah has Down syndrome. His test came back positive. And I said, okay. Kara worked in a cancer center. She was familiar with holding a professional demeanor in challenging, even emotional situations. But this was her own sweet little baby boy they were talking about. She continued to listen to the doctor's words. And he said, now I'm going to see you in the office tomorrow, but I just didn't want you to have to wait and wonder anymore. So I'm calling you today. Kara thanked the doctor for the call, even though deep down inside, she wasn't sure that she really appreciated getting the news by phone that day at all. I don't think I really did, but now I do. Because I would have missed out on this next moment. The memories of the next moments stand out vividly in Kara's mind. She remembers the jacket she was wearing. She remembers the exact path she walked out of the building and who she spoke to along the way as she shared that she would be leaving early for the day and wouldn't be back. And they all knew what was in the works um, and were reassuring and trying to calm us the whole time. They wouldn't have believed it either. She walked out the back door and got into her blue Toyota 4Runner, put the key in the ignition, and began the 50-minute drive to her husband Todd's work. I probably should not have been on the highway that day because I really don't remember the drive. She just remembers her body going on autopilot while her mind sat focused on not just what this meant for the future of her family, but why. She had always been a faithful, church-going person who tried to do what was right in the eyes of God. And now God was allowing this to fall on her and her innocent little child. I remember crying, saying, what are you thinking? We waited forever for this kid. I was I was yelling at God. I was mad. I was mad at myself because I work in a medical clinic. I see kids and people all the time. I didn't even know my own kid had Down syndrome. What is wrong with me? What kind of mom am I if I can look him in the eye every day, every night, feed him? I, I didn't know. What kind of mom doesn't know her kid? 45 minutes went by on the road with Kara wiping back constant tears, pushing forward to her destination in anger and sadness. As she began to exit the highway, she felt her mind pause for a moment. And I hear this voice, and not like I heard it, like you and me talking, but it was inside of me, and it said, well, what's wrong with you? He's the same little boy you dropped off at daycare this morning. He's the same little boy you take to the Buffalo airport, fly through Detroit to get to Green Bay so that you could spend long weekends with your mom and dad and his grandparents, both sets of grandparents. You're so proud of him. You waited so long for him. He didn't change today, honey, you did. So sweet girl, you gotta get over this. This is not a him thing, it's a you thing. And that voice was right. Kara pulled up to Todd's auto glass shop where Todd was working on a car. Todd looked up and saw her walking in, and just as he began to ask why she was there, he stopped. He knew. He flipped over a five-gallon bucket, sat on it, and tears began streaming down his face. And said, why us? Why me? Why our little boy? And I said, I'm not sure, but this is what I just heard the man. And I think that uh, we have everything we need if we just listen, keep listening to that voice. And he said, okay. And we just decided right then and there that 
Noah was going to be Noah with or without us. And um, we also know after a few years that there's no way in, in any universe that Noah needed us as parents, but that we needed him. And from that day, that attitude has been paramount to Kara and Todd's approach. And uh, we couldn't do it without the Holy Spirit stopping in my van that day. And I'm not a person who hears God's voice, but I do know when he speaks, he comes alongside and speaks quietly. It's not always in the fire. And now, more than ever, she and Todd would welcome any offered divine guidance as neither of them had any real experience with anyone who had a cognitive disability. Kara had seven brothers and sisters who all had kids before she did, and none of them were born with any such condition. We looked at each other, and like we said, God put up here on earth for some reason and give them to us. So, so we put our right foot in front of our left. So Kara and Todd started doing some reading, determined to figure this out. And at the same time, Kara opted not to go to support groups or even meet with people who had children with Down syndrome. Not because they didn't have value to add, but because Kara felt like there wasn't a one-size-fits-all approach to raising Noah, and that maybe the best way to raise him would be to read and learn all she could and then take a custom approach day by day according to what felt right for her child. So as soon as he gets a diagnosis like that, all these professionals swarm you. They went to an early intervention program that taught them how to work with children who weren't hitting typical milestones. The people we had in New York came actually came into our home, and we will never forget them. They taught us so much about positive parenting and how to do things to help your, your kids. For instance, it soon became apparent that one symptom of Down syndrome that showed in Noah was in his low muscle tone. So professionals taught Kara and Todd how to help baby Noah build up enough core muscle strength to be able to sit up in a high chair. He also underwent a number of other tests to determine what other health risks he had. Many children born with Down syndrome have to undergo multiple surgeries to fix their hearts or their valves. But for Noah, it appears that he had been blessed with a very healthy heart. Sometimes people with Down syndrome have a thing in their neck where the vertebrae allow you to slide forward or backwards, and it can suffocate you. So if you don't know you have this, you need to know. Like in a car seat, if he would have tipped his head forward and that would have slipped in, he could have died in the back seat. Thankfully, Noah didn't have that condition either. We had occupational therapy and physical therapy who came into our house sometimes twice a week for 15, 20, 30 minutes. They would bring all kinds of fancy toys and see what he could do and leave him there for a week for him to develop different skills. But not every professional they spoke to offered words of hope. In fact, on a wintry New York day, soon after Noah's diagnosis first came back, Kara and Todd were at the hospital for Noah's exam and necessary shots. And while Kara redressed Noah in his snowsuit at the exam table... The doctor sat on the other side of the room talking to Todd. As Kara pulled the snowsuit over the little baby's arms, she caught a glance of her husband across the room. Todd is wide-eyed because he's telling him all the things Noah isn't going to do. Things like, he'll probably walk, but it'll take a long time and it won't go well because of his low muscle tone. And there's only about a 50% chance he'll ever be potty trained. And learning in school, that's going to be rough. People with Down syndrome usually don't eat or sleep, drink. You know, they struggle with doing things. He was like sick to his stomach listening to this list. Kara finished zipping up Noah's snowsuit and buckled him into the baby carrier, then walked over to the two men and handed the baby carrier to Todd, looking the doctor directly in the eye. And I said, you know what? 
you're right. There are probably going to be some things Noah doesn't do, but I can guarantee you one thing he's not going to do. And he's like, what? I said, come here. He's never going to see you again. Because if you don't look for what's positive for him, if you don't see the what he can do, then he doesn't belong here. And neither do we. And we switch doctors the next week. That was my first time of feeling that just like, you don't know. And you're trying to set us up for failure. Like Todd was crying when he walked out the door. Tara, what are we, what have we gotten ourselves into? How are we going to do this? Are we going to have enough money? Are we going to have enough time and resources? Like we can't have any other kids. Todd just felt our whole life go like this. On one man's prediction. And early on, Kara and Todd decided how they would raise Noah. While they knew he had Down syndrome and that it would come with challenges, they weren't going to let that predefine their child. They would rather see him do what he could do and then step in to help when he couldn't do something and keep it as simple as that. And their family continued to grow. Two years after Noah was born, Kara gave birth to a little baby girl, Jill, and then three more years after that, they welcomed another baby girl into the family, Jana. And it may surprise some people to learn that they raised all three kids with the same approach, step in and help when they needed it, and let them do what they could on their own. They didn't even mention to the girls that Noah had a medical condition that made him different in any way. They just lived their lives, giving loving support to each child as it was needed, and focusing on empowering all three of their children to be their best selves. I mean, sure, sometimes that meant giving Noah special attention or support, but they never assumed that he wasn't capable of something right off the bat just because he had Down syndrome. I didn't realize until I became an adult that my life was different than anybody else's. That's Jill, Noah's younger sister by exactly two years and one day. Growing up wasn't not any different than I think anyone else's was. Like, I never really felt like I was different because of him. I just thought everything was normal. I treat him like a brother. He treats me like a sister. And that's Jana, the youngest of the three siblings. In fact, Kara and Todd were so unfocused on announcing Noah's Down syndrome that their second-born, Jill, was completely oblivious to the fact that Noah had any condition at all for a good portion of her childhood. It wasn't until second grade, when Jill was seven or eight years old, that Kara noticed something was on Jill's mind. I picked her up from school. She was really quiet in the van. She's not a quiet girl. And I kept saying, Jilly, what happened? What's wrong? What's going on? And she's like, nothing, nothing. Noah was also in the car at the time, and Jill didn't want to say anything in front of her brother. So once they got home and Noah went into a different room, Jill was able to open up. She comes in, she takes her backpack, swings it around her shoulder and slams it on the counter, puts her hands on her hips, and I know where she got this posture from. And she said, Mom, did you know Noah has Down syndrome? (laughs) And kind of caught me off guard. I was like, uh, yeah. And she said, is it like our family secret? And I said, honey, I don't know what you're talking about. And she said, Mom, today I wanted help in math, and I was having trouble, so I said, I need Mrs. Wenzel to come help me with my math. And they said, Jill, you can't have Mrs. Wenzel come help you. What what are you talking about? And she goes, well, she helps Noah with his math. Why can't she help me with my math? And they said, oh, well, Mrs. Wenzel helps all the kids who have Down syndrome. And she's a helper to all of those kids, but not to you. And Jill's like, "What what do you mean? And they're like, well, Noah has Down syndrome. So there's an extra helper in the class for him. 
And she thought about this all the rest of the day. She didn't know. I just remember coming home and being like, well, what the heck? Like, why was this such a big secret? So Kara and Todd filled Jill in for the first time about Noah's Down syndrome. And that night we went to bed like, we are either the best parents in the world or the worst parents in the world. And as Jill grew up, she came to really appreciate her parents' approach. My parents very much raised me to treat others like all the same. And it's the person that matters, not their diagnoses or their disability or anything like that. It was just who they are as a person. It really was a sign to us that we had done very well at not saying, oh, you got to help him with that because he has Down syndrome, the Down syndrome. Or, you know, Noah can't do that because he has the Down syndrome. We just made him do what he could do and we helped him do what he couldn't. We treated her the same way. Do what you can do and we'll help you with what you can't. She just made us feel like we were always like a kid to her too. Like we didn't feel any different because we had a brother with a disability. And I've got to say that this approach was so much a part of Kara and Todd that it came across constantly as I spoke to them for this story. Naively, I'll admit, I had assumed that I would be interviewing a family about what it was like to raise someone who had Down syndrome. Like, what were the challenges? What were the heartbreaks? What were the triumphs? Everything that made life different when compared to raising children without similar conditions. But as I spoke to their family and I asked them these kinds of questions, I found that just about every time, they didn't know how to answer them. They would pause and and think for a long time, like, almost puzzled. How was raising Noah different than expected? I don't, yeah, he, I don't know. It's a tough one, you know, because he. And after a while of talking to their family, I realized that it wasn't that they didn't want to tell me how raising Noah was different, but they genuinely didn't know how to respond because they authentically thought of Noah as simply being just another loved family member, right? Not being someone who needed to be raised all that differently at all. And for me, who is admittedly completely ignorant in this area and who has not spent a lot of time around people with Down syndrome, that kind of blew my mind in a good way. I mean, it was a big lesson to me, to be honest, an eye-opener and probably a necessary correction to my method of thinking. I mean, I had always assumed that if I had ever been told that I would give birth to a child with Down syndrome, I too would have moved forward with the birth. I've decided that, albeit I would be absolutely terrified. But I feel like I probably would have approached raising my child much more, I guess you could say clinically, like establishing that this wasn't just my child, but this was my child with Down syndrome. And as such, would need to be treated in maybe A, B, and C different ways. I mean, it is hard to say exactly what I do without actually being there. But I wonder if I would really be setting up my child for the greatest success with that kind of mindset. And here I was instead talking to a family who decided that a genetic abnormality didn't need to dictate how they raised their child. Other people noticed Kara and Todd's parenting style as well. One day, Noah's pediatrician, who knew Kara pretty well from working at the same hospital, approached her. He said to me one day, you know, Kara, I just, I've been thinking about this the last couple times you came in, and I feel like we have the relationship. I can ask you this. Do you have different expectations for Noah than you do for the girls? I really didn't give it much thought up to that point. You know, I was kind of like, do I? Mm. I said, I don't know. Give me some time to think about it because I haven't really thought about it. And then I came home and I, like, throughout the weeks, I would be like, what, what, what's he mean? 
Like, cause all I really want, probably all you really want for your baby is to be healthy, as much happiness and joy as they can get to have friends, people who love them, just do what they want to do. That's safe and makes sense. Grow, learn, like, no, I didn't have different expectations for him. We didn't. Even if his Down syndrome caused him to hit milestones a little later than other children, Noah's parents continued to encourage him to hit those milestones just as they did with their other children. He walked when he was about 20 months old pretty solid on his own. The average child without Down syndrome typically walks around the 13-month mark, while the average child with Down syndrome typically walks around the 24-month mark with some walking closer to even four years old. He walked earlier than I think some kids do because his muscle tone wasn't that bad. And as for talking? I feel like he's always been making noise. <laughs> First words probably that I remember are when he was close to two with Jill, he would sit by her swing and try to share his toys with her and talk to her and call her baby. When Noah turned five, the age that most kids go to kindergarten, the family had moved back to Kara's hometown in Wisconsin. I think when we moved in, we added five to the population sign, you know, like 521 people or something. And Kara went to the local school to enroll Noah in kindergarten with the other five-year-olds. They said, no, nobody with a disability goes to kindergarten at their five. They stay in early childhood till they're six, separated from their peers. Not only would he have to wait to go to school, but his classes would keep him separated from kids who didn't have a disability. And for Kara and Todd, that wasn't going to work for them. From their perspective, how was Noah supposed to grow up in a normal society if he was separated from it at an early age? That's not how it's going to work because Noah learns so much from other people. Then he, you know, sitting at a desk next to him, having him trace his letters, that was boring. He is watching what everybody else is doing, good and bad, and learning, and, and that's what he does. Kara couldn't help but think back to when she was growing up. My husband and I... When we grew up all those years ago, kids in special education were in another part of our school. And sadly, the only time we ever saw them was when they escaped from where they were supposed to be and were running down the hallway and people were trying to catch them. <sighs> Having that vision in the back of my mind move into my heart when I met my own kid? No. They also thought of Noah's little sisters and what it would mean to see their brother separated from them, like he didn't belong. And it just wasn't what they wanted for their family. So they packed up their household again, and they moved to the Fox Valley, about 20 minutes away from Green Bay in Wisconsin, where they found a school that would allow Noah to attend with peers of his own age, with or without a disability. Very, very loving people and uh, a, lot of, a lot of support here. And while Noah was still young, they enrolled him in sports like t-ball, often volunteering to coach the teams, both to help Noah and to put other parents' minds at ease. I think having a kid like Noah scares some people, makes them uncomfortable because they just don't know what he's going to do. You know, they don't know if he's unpredictable. But as Noah got older, he had trouble keeping up with his peers' athleticism, and then he ended up kind of losing interest in playing most sports. And while his health was generally good, having Down syndrome did bring physical challenges to his childhood. For one, since those with Down syndrome often have especially small ear canals, they can be prone to congestion and ear infections during childhood, and they need tubes put in. On one occasion when Noah was around six years old, when the doctors went to insert ear tubes, 
They found a large benign tumor that needed to be removed, which involved sending him to a larger hospital to stay overnight. And that didn't just happen once. It happened seven times. He's deaf, pretty much deaf in one ear. He has no eardrum left anymore. On another occasion, when Noah was in third or fourth grade, Noah was at home sitting on a bar stool when he looked at his mom, who was standing on the other side of the counter. He said, Mom, do you see these bugs in my arm? And I thought I wasn't understanding what he was saying because that didn't make any sense to me. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Mom, look, look. There's bugs in here. Kara was confused. Bugs in his arm? She didn't see anything out of the ordinary on Noah's arms. But something was obviously bothering him, so Kara took him to the doctor and they did an MRI to discover that Noah had a hereditary condition called... Chiari malformation. Which is apparently something that many adults walking around have without symptoms, like Kara herself, in fact. And that's when the base of your brain goes down the hole in your skull that your spinal cord goes through, and it just kind of puts pressure on your spinal cord. And in Noah's case, it was causing symptoms. So they had to take a piece of the skull out in the back and they put in a real cartilage patch so that it's got some flexibility and it can move right there and then your spinal cord goes down and doesn't have that pressure. So it was another medical procedure for Noah to ensure that he didn't lose functionality of his arm. And with every challenge that demanded the attention of his parents, Noah's little sisters took things in stride. So if Noah was hospitalized... They would go with the flow. Whoever showed up at our house to take care of them in an emergency, they were kind and understanding. There were a lot of wet nights mom didn't come home. And um, they were also very good about that, um, even though I think there were times they wished it were different. Noah is probably my best friend. That's Jill again, Noah's younger sister. He is always such a positive Well, I should say, he's almost always such a positive person. He has just taught me what unconditional love is and what it means to be loved and love others. And he doesn't do it to make other people like him. He is just a lovable person and he radiates that to everybody else. And growing up with Noah was an amazing experience. But I didn't have to take Jill's word for it. I got the chance to hear from Noah myself. It is well with my soul. And here this it's my underwater. (laughs) That's your underwater singing? Yeah. And in my conversation with him, it was clear that there was something that stood out about Noah. While the rest of us are worried about, I don't know, how much money is sitting in our bank account or when we can get the car to the mechanic or what we're going to wear in order to make the best impression in some business presentation, Noah is primarily interested in one thing in particular. People. If you got a haircut, if you got new glasses, if you had a new jacket, he noticed, hey, I like your haircut. He still compliments people all the time. One time, Noah was walking down the street and an adult neighbor zoomed past him on his bike when Noah called out to him, Phil, you shaved your beard. Phil slammed on his brakes, turned around and came back and said, what did you say? Phil, you you shaved your beard. He said, Noah, my wife didn't even notice. I've been with her all day. Noah's like, well, I'll tell her. I I can tell Nikki. It was just normal for Noah to be incredibly in tune with what was going on with people around him in ways that the rest of us are probably oblivious to. 
Or maybe we're too busy, perhaps, thinking about our own lives to notice others in such a personal way. He remembers details about you and is so interested that he will bring them up and ask you, hey, how's this going? Like, if you told him, like, your football jersey number five years ago and then you haven't seen him since, if you saw him, he would be like, oh yeah, your number, whatever. And they just are like, what? <laughs> you tell him your birthday right now and he'll tell the whole world your birthday and your name, your middle name. If he sees you today and you tell him a story, you know, about something that's happening to you, he will like say, mom, we gotta put that name on our prayer board. And then he'll pray about it. And then he sees you the next time and he remembers the details of that story. Even though you've already been through it and you kind of forgot about it, he he cares about that and he comes back and and he checks in with people. He doesn't forget what's important. And other things that are so typically important in society like money, are just not important in Noah's world. If he has money, he just wants to give it away. One year for Christmas, Noah got some Toys R Us gift cards from some friends, and he immediately tried to give those gift cards to his sisters. And when his sisters kindly declined and explained to him that those were for him, he went to the store and he used the gift cards to pick out toys for each of his sisters. He doesn't want anything. All of his needs are met because he's here with us. Because nothing matters more to Noah than people. He loves socialization, loves relationship. I don't think I've ever heard him say anything mean to anyone in my life. Yeah, he's got an awesome heart. And it really affects Noah emotionally when others around him feel sad. Noah doesn't want people to be mad or hurting. He isn't going to add to that. And if he does, he feels great. If he thinks he did, he feels great remorse. Whether that empathy grew out of having Down syndrome or social upbringing, his natural temperament or something else, Kara isn't sure. If I'm having a bad day, he, he wants to make it better. Noah lives to serve people. That's his thing. It's normal for Noah to wake up and butter some toast or set out glasses of ice water for other members of the household to have once they wake up. I helped. My grandma out. Every day I give her a bottle of water, Kansas to set it up, and my mom and I made a coffee. When he rolls the family garbage cans out to the curb on trash day, he makes sure to also take out the trash cans for the neighbors if theirs aren't already out yet. If you ask him to do something, he'll do it like this. He, there's no hesitation. Noah and I were very close in age, so we did a lot of the same things. We were always really close. I remember in high school, Noah would always try to like come into my classrooms. And so he'd always be knocking on the door. And until I acknowledged Noah, he wouldn't go away. And then he would say, I love you. And then he would go about his day. And on top of all of this, Noah has always had a great sense of humor. Some of the things he says, like, are just so funny. Like, he is always looking for a joke, and he's always looking to make people happy. And I think that's why he has such a good sense of humor is because he's trying to make people, you know, happy and smile. Tell her the joke about the toilet paper. Okay, why the toilet paper didn't cross a road? Why? I don't know. You're stuck in a crack. <laughs> in middle school, Noah developed a love for the performing arts. Everything from choir to band to theater, Noah jumped in. At one point, his middle school held auditions for The Wizard of Oz, and Noah really wanted to be the Tin Man because he really wanted to wear the cool costume. When the show director, who was a teacher at the school, found out that Noah was going to audition for the part of the Tin Man, 
He called Kara on the phone, terrified of disappointing Noah, and he asked her to tell Noah not to try out. But Kara wasn't having it, even if Noah wasn't the right person for the part. So she told the show director, If he doesn't learn this, how is he going to ever know how to experience and work through disappointment and then encourage the kid who got it? Like, I don't, I don't know how else to teach him that. The show director was not thrilled with what he was hearing. And he was like, so seriously, you want me to let him try out? I said, I do. And I trust you to coach him through it. And he said, okay. Noah tried out for the Tin Man, didn't get the part. This guy explained to him that not everybody can have the part. Look at all these kids who tried out and didn't get it. But here's your role. So he was a flying monkey, you know, doing the dance with the swirling tail. And he had another role in that too. So he still participated in the big group like most kids did. And he could still cheer on the Tin Man. Great life lesson, right? We all have to learn it. Why would I protect him from that? Another time in middle school, Noah came home with the realization that he wanted to ask his mom about. He said, Mom, how come all my friends are girls? And I said, what? And he said, I have lots of girlfriends, but I don't have any boyfriends. Why do I only have girlfriends? And I said, I think it's because you compliment them and you make them feel good about themselves and you notice things. And girls really like that. Boys, they could care less. And and he was like, Okay, I said, boys only care if you can run fast and dribble a ball, but girls care how you make them feel. And I think that's why you have friends who are girls. Okay, and he was good with that. But as middle school turned into high school, something interesting happened. The boys started to notice all the girls that constantly circulated around Noah. And during his freshman year, Noah signed up to play in a recreational basketball league. Todd takes him to the meeting the first night, and there were two teams because there were so many boys in the freshman class signed up. And they both were, no, we want Noah. No, we want Noah. No, Mr. Van Voren can Noah play with us. No, no, make a play with us. And Todd's like, Eric, what's going on? Eric was a family friend and a buddy to Noah. And Eric goes, they know all the girls will come if Noah's on their team, so that's why they want him. He was a magnet for that. And where he may have originally been seen as a girl magnet by some of the guys, it didn't take long for the guys to realize how awesome Noah really was, even with the girls out of the picture. And he started to make a lot of friends. Because Noah was always very visible in school. After all, he was attending the same classes as everyone else. And with his authentically caring demeanor and uncommon passion for people, he was hard to miss. He was in regular classes. Sometimes he would go to the special education room if they were, like, he took cooking classes, for instance. And then a co-teacher would come along just to have there for extra help. Noah took all the typical classes, from math to English, from physics to woodworking. Chemistry, biology class. He even played percussion in the school band. He got a cowbell last year for Christmas. I had to hide that thing. And even though Noah was taking a curriculum of classes meant for any person his age, it's true that delayed learning is a symptom of Down syndrome. When it comes to reading, Noah can read words, but by the time he gets to the end of a sentence, and if he has to sound out a few, like not sight words that he has in his head, then he forgets what he was even reading about because he spent so much time decoding one word. So reading is not really his thing, but he can read, you know, a lot of stuff, especially fast food signs. They've always been some of his favorites. Those were some of his first words. Kara says he probably would never read like a book or a newspaper voluntarily. That said, it doesn't mean he is indifferent about current events because current events have to do with his very favorite subject, people. Noah loves presidential history. He will watch inaugurations. He will watch funerals. 
of the Kennedys, the Reagans, any, anybody. He can answer very many questions about the president and the first lady. And being surrounded by kids and teens his whole life who did not have Down syndrome, I couldn't help but wonder how they treated Noah growing up, assuming that there must have been moments where kids were unkind. He took his lunch tray and went to middle school, went to a table, and one of the boys was already sitting there. And he said, you can't sit there. Joe was sitting there. Okay, so Noah slid his tray down. Then they said, well, you can't sit there. Michael's sitting there. So then he made it all the way around the table before they, you know, and they kept telling him, you can't sit there, you can't sit there. Finally, he just sat down in the chair. Well, if they're not here yet, then I can't, then I'm, I'm first, so I'm sitting here. And he sat down. He learned some of that. I think sometimes he was oblivious to the fact that people weren't as accepting of him. Maybe not always, but because Noah was so in tune with others' feelings, he often knew something was wrong when he wasn't being treated well. I think Noah's an easier target because he doesn't always pick up on it, but he has a feeling. So he would say to me, I don't think that person likes me. Even if they didn't really say anything to him, it's just the way they treated him or moved around him, didn't include him, didn't. So I, he, he could pick up on it, but I don't think he understood that it was intentional and mean. I think he felt more like, I think they're having a bad day. Noah's father, Todd, recalls how painful it can be when someone uses the derogatory R word aimed at anyone with or without a disability. The word, and I am going to say it here so that there's no confusion, is retarded. A person with a disability has enough struggle already, and they don't need that, you know, so... They don't need that, you know, that much more burden on them. And thankfully, these tough moments were few and far between, thanks to their supportive community. He has a very best friend from third grade. Her name is Ariel. Young girl that didn't have to become his friend. And she did. Best friend. She was an amazing conduit to the other kids. She was his right hand. Noah's coming. Nope. You'd be nice to him. Nope. You're not going to treat him like that. Yes, he, you know, she was his whole life. It helps that she ended up being a real popular girl in school. I think part of her popularity is because she um, had a heart for Noah. It says a lot about the kind of person she is. One freshman boy who was new to the school admitted later to Kara that he had been a little confused to see Noah in the same intro to physics class, thinking, What in the world's going on? And he said it distracted me for like the first week. Like, what is he doing? Does Is he listening? What, you know, like, how does he take all this in? And he's like, and then I figured it out. He does listen. He does, you know, he might not understand it the way I put it together and use it later as an engineer, but he got the motion like he, he's like I was just I was shocked so Ariel had a lot to do with him and her friend group being included being respected his sister Jill who remember was only two years younger than Noah was also by his side through a lot of his school days making sure he was happy and respected I remember a lot of the times when like Noah would get upset or Noah would be in school and the teachers always would be like Where's Jill? And I would just come up and be a supportive person. All the while with Kara and Todd raising Noah just as they were their other kids, making adjustments along the way as needed. So Noah grew up with confidence, not feeling particularly different from his peers. Noah wanted to get a driver's license. Everybody else was getting a driver's license. I didn't know what to do because I just know he doesn't have the reaction time. But Noah insisted. His friends were all getting their driver's licenses, and so he wanted one too. And I didn't, 
ever want to be the person to tell him no just because. How could his mother explain that he couldn't get a license without instilling feelings in him that it was because he was, as they say, different than others? But she could think of no way to adequately turn Noah down without risking that conversation. So, instead, just as she had relied on the director of the middle school play to help guide Noah through a life lesson— This time, she took Noah to the DMV, hoping against hope that someone there would know what to say. Which, I've got to say, is putting a lot of faith in the DMV. Now We waited in line and we went up to the next desk and the lady said, how can I help you? And Noah said, I want a driver's license. And she looked at me. The DMV employee searched Kara's face intently until contrary to the bad rap attached to the DMV, she was able to recognize a mother's plea for help in Kara's eyes. She looked kindly back at Noah. And she said, well, Noah, let's talk about what it means to have a driver's license. And she told him, you have to be able to pass this test. You have to study this book and pass this test. And then if you do that, then you can ride with your mom and dad for a while. And when you get good at that, you can come in and take a test with another driver. But she said, let me tell you something. If you got your driver's license and you weren't really skilled at driving, like if you couldn't move your foot fast enough to the brake and you hit somebody or someone on a bike or another car, how would you feel? And he said, I'd feel terrible. And she said, yeah, that's why it's such an important decision and why we have to be so careful because we don't want anybody to hurt anyone. And we don't want you to get hurt. And she just spent some nice time with him and he said, Okay, well, I guess I have a lot to think about. Noah didn't pursue his driver's license after that, all because the woman at the DMV took the time to help him think through the decision, something Kara was grateful for. When you can have other people help him through those, it's just way better. And as Noah grew up, his community stepped up on many occasions, just like the woman at the DMV. In fact, in high school, Noah wasn't just respected, but he was loved, even adored. One day, when Noah was a junior in high school, Kara got a phone call from the school. They just called me from school one day and said, Hey, Kara, if uh, Noah, let's just say he makes the prom court. I was like, oh, no, he made the prom court? Um, They're like, let's just say that that, if that would happen, would that be okay with y'all? Because, you know, like he'd have to rent a tux and it can be kind of pricey. Well, we just want to make sure it would be okay with you. And I said, do you call all the kids who make the prom court and ask them that? And they said, oh, no. And I said, then don't treat us any differently. If he makes the prom court, we will make it happen. And they were like, okay, well, we just wanted to, to make sure. And I was like, okay. So the next day they announced the court, there's Mr. Noah on the court. Proud as a peacock. I don't think he has any idea what it even, like, you know, he knows they voted. And at Noah's school, once the prom court is selected, the juniors at the school vote for who they want to be king and queen. And then on prom night, the king and queen are announced and crowned. So prom night arrived and family members of the prom court came to cheer on their teenager who could possibly wear the crown. Kara, Todd, and Jana, along with some neighbors and some friends, were all there to support Noah, who stood in a tux, happy as ever, just to be among the people he cared about. Jill, 
his sophomore sister, stood by his side as his smiling date. He was like, Mom, I want to take Jilly. We went together, and it was just a really cool experience. Then the junior class advisor, who was also one of Noah's favorite teachers, stood to announce the king and queen. He announced the queen first. And it was a girl that we adore. She's a sweet girl. And then it was time to announce the king. The advisor opened his mouth and spoke Noah's name. And the whole place erupted. Like, it got so loud. And I was just, I think I was stunned. And I looked over at Janet, and tears were flowing down her cheeks. And I'm like, you're crying. She was, so are you. You know, <laughs> I didn't know I was even crying. He was just so happy. And Kara was happy for Noah. And not just for Noah, but for everyone. To be honest, she couldn't help thinking back to her own days in high school, where a person with Down syndrome would never have been considered for such an honor among peers. Just the fact that Noah had made the prom court had reached beyond her expectations, not for Noah, but for society. She may be making a point not to treat him differently, but she couldn't control how differently others saw him. But in the end, others had come even further than she could have imagined. And she took pride in her community, as well as in her sweet son, as she watched him dance the rest of the night away. It didn't feel like it was out of any other motive. It was a genuine wanting Noah to be a part of this community. And it really shown that day and also throughout his high school career of just how much he was loved and appreciated in the school. And Noah's high school community was about to surprise Kara again. It's the best be the first to tell you. My favorite sport is football. When you're taking on Aaron Rodgers, you better come out ready to go. Noah is a big Green Bay Packers fan and had even befriended the team's equipment manager when he was six years old, allowing him to go backstage where the Packers play a number of times. And while Noah wasn't in physical condition to actually play on the high school football team, he did find a position that fit him well. He was the hydration specialist. Well, hydration specialist is uh, like being a water boy. Noah never wanted to be called water boy. It was always hydration specialist. And Noah continued in that role throughout all four years of high school. From the stands, Kara would catch him not only being diligent in passing water to the other players, but saw him putting his arm around an injured player sitting on the bench or hyping up other people on the team. And after four years as the diligent hydration specialist, the final football game of Noah's senior year was upon them. It was then that Kara got a phone call she didn't expect. It was from the high school's football coach. He said, Tonight's game, because it's our last home game, we would like Noah to score a touchdown. The boys brought this to me at the beginning of the season, that it was important to them. They got together and brought the idea up to the coach and said, hey, we want Noah to suit up. Score touchdown. It was the coach's first year with the team, and he hadn't really interacted with Noah when the team first brought the idea to him at the beginning of the season. And he told Kara, I thought it would go away, honestly, because I'd never done anything like this before. But then I saw them work together all year, and we know it's something we need to do. The boys want to do this. Kara was surprised. They wanted Noah to score a touchdown? He was a devout and dedicated hydration specialist, to be sure, but he had never been a football player. How would it even be possible, especially when the other team would obviously want to prevent them from scoring any additional touchdowns? The coach explained that they had already spoken to the other team, who not only agreed, but agreed enthusiastically. 
Apparently, the other team had had a terrible season with very few wins, if any. They weren't expected to win this game either, so leaving this season on an inspiring note sounded like a great punctuation mark for them. That night, Kara and the family went to the high school for the game. It was a chilly night, but a special one, starting off differently from the very beginning. When they got to the start of the game, they made him an honorary captain. So he walked out onto the field, linking arms in the middle of the other captains. When they did the coin toss, they let Noah call whether it was heads or tails. And when Noah came back to the bench... He was so proud and so happy. Like, that would have been the highlight of that whole thing for him as a senior. The game continued with Noah's team ahead. And then, as the end of the game drew near, one of the coaches approached Noah, holding some shoulder pads. Noah looked up at him, a bit bewildered, but determined to do any duty that was asked of him. Noah looked at him and said, am I going in? And he said, you are. Noah ripped off his jersey, put on the shoulder pads and helmet, and stepped onto the field, this time as a football player. He got to go in the game. It was so cool. The team's quarterback approached Noah, football in hand. Hey, Noah, here, take this. Okay. And I just ran, big smile, big, big, big grin, and I, and I scored out the whole touchdown. The local Fox News team was there to cover the game. I'm, I'm so happy my parents aren't here today. Never being night tonight. Van Voren has Down syndrome, yet on this field, he's always been one of the guys. He's always positive, walking on the sideline, he'll pat you on the back, he'll say you're doing a great job. His teammates said they wanted to repay him. So they and the whole town had an even bigger surprise waiting for Van Voren on the chilly October night. <laughs> As the clock ticked down in the fourth quarter of a blowout win, the final home game came to a close. But there was time for just one more play. It was Van Voren's turn to take the ball. The Clintonville truckers let him pass. And away ran number 14, flanked by his teammates, down the field, all the way to the end zone. His first touchdown. I'm a touchdown. I did great. Moved by the scene, Todd put it best. He was born 18 years ago, and the doctors told us that he would never build a walk, talk, or do anything. The doctor they had left behind, never looking back. And then to see him 18 years later, to do this is amazing. It's amazing. And to have a community as a little shoot, to, to back him up and to, to, be, to love him the way they do is, is you can't, you can't put it in words. You really can't. I was surprised. Mom was crying and crying, and I gave her a hug. It's just kind of cool that like everyone came together to celebrate him, just to see like, <laughs> just to see all the people that actually like like him. Because I see all these other kids that like I went to school. They never got that opportunity. I just remember bawling and like crying in the student section because like. What an accomplishment and what a great thing he will always remember getting to do. And for the other team and the other school to be so willing and just so positive about it. It's really cool to experience and like you get the goosebumps thinking about it. The National Fox News Network picked up the story and posted the video on their YouTube channel, where it has more than six million views. And for Kara, watching the love people had for Noah was heartwarming. And from her perspective, it made sense. She knew her kind-hearted boy better than anyone and was glad that others had picked up on his qualities that made him particularly likable. 
And yet, at the same time, on the flip side, all of this was again unexpected. Not only was the attention paid to him seemingly non-traditional, but she had raised Noah the same way she had raised her other kids, going to great lengths to not let Down syndrome define who he was. And even with the equal approach to raising Noah, it seemed society saw him differently. There was something about Noah that drew people in and kept them there, giving them a desire to love him and put him on a pedestal. Was it because Noah was authentically kind to those around him and people naturally respond to kindness? Was it because Noah unconventionally discarded worldly considerations in trade for really understanding and loving people? Could it even be that people have an innate desire to serve others, and as a recipient as genuine as they come, Noah became the subject of that service, filling others with the joys that come with it? I asked his sisters about all of this. I think it's the smile on his face and just the big welcoming person he is. and. I don't know, he's just so funny, and he can talk to anyone, he can talk, yeah, I don't know. It's just his personality, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure what it is, but I think those are the reasons why people get so drawn to him, is because he's just so nice. There's never, I've never heard him say anything mean to anyone, you know? Like, everyone knows that when they go and talk to Noah, he's gonna be, he's gonna be nice and someone to just listen, you know? I don't even know how to put it into words. Noah is so accepting and he is just such a community guy. And every time he sees you, he smiles. Whatever the reason may be, it's clear that just having Noah in their midst was enough to bring out the best in people, the best in society. When originally, Kara and Todd had moved to Wisconsin so that Noah could grow up near extended family. We thought we had to come to a place where people had to love him because they were related to him. He was their blood family. But what we quickly learned is that while that was really awesome and that did happen for us, people loved him just because of who he was, not because we were related. And the love didn't stop there in their Wisconsin town. Other media outlets across the nation, like the Huffington Post, even picked up the story. And soon Noah was touching hearts around the globe. So many people celebrated this act of kindness and fell in love with this hydration specialist. And Noah's fame didn't end with that football game. A few months later, another video of Noah went independently viral, this time one of him opening a college acceptance letter. Part of our expectations for our kids was you have to try what you want to do, right? And there was no question that the girls would go to college. Nobody questioned that. But Noah said to us one day, I want to go to college. My friends are going to college and I want to go to college. Todd and Kara looked at each other. We have never, ever told him he couldn't do something. And since we're aware of these opportunities, what if? we have him interview. If they don't accept him, that's that's okay. That's the way it goes. After all, this wasn't the first time Noah had applied for an opportunity he might not get. And so we thought, kind of like the musical, let's let him try out and see what happens. If he's disappointed, we'll coach him through. So they helped Noah apply for a college program designed for people with learning disabilities who had strong independent living skills. And when the letter arrived, they didn't know what it was going to say. In fact, Kara had her serious doubts that Noah was going to be the right fit for this particular program. But not wanting to shield her son from reality, just as she wouldn't either of her daughters, she handed the envelope to Noah and told him to open it. While running camera, of course. Well, you you have to see if you got... Who's the letter from? 
Must be from Edgewood. Yeah. Somewhat nervously, Noah begins to tear the letter open. Let's see what it says. Did Dad read it to you? No. Oh, this is very excited. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it says, Dear Noah, yes, you made it. You did not. Yes, you did not. 16. Noah scans the words on the page until he realizes. Cool. I am dead! Yes! Dad, you rock! I love you! Daddy, read it. I got accepted! Yes! Yeah! Yeah! Here, he strips off his sweatshirt and starts flexing like the Incredible Hulk. has well over a million views and almost 10,000 likes, inspiring additional articles and reposts from media outlets around the world, including the Daily Mail and Inside Edition. Many people didn't even know that a person with Down syndrome could go to college, and others around the world were simply touched by his reaction, by his ability to feel, to really feel pure joy in that kind of moment. People that I know or meet, we're all looking for something that's uh, better than what we have or that we see. We're all looking for that kind of joy and we rarely let ourselves feel it. Um, my other girls got college acceptance letters and they were like, oh, great, you know, I got these three that I really wanted. That's the extent of their joy and excitement. For Noah, this was so big. And while being Noah's mom brought many moments of joy to Kara just like this one, it also came with moments she felt her heart might break. One particularly difficult time for Kara was when she had to file for guardianship for Noah. The thing about guardianship is they have to declare you incompetent to make your own decisions. And I hate that word. And that word is in all the paperwork. The doctor has to fill it out to say he can't make his own decisions because he doesn't understand the consequences. And while I know that it's true, it just didn't sit well. In case you aren't familiar, Filing for guardianship means obtaining the legal authority to make decisions for an adult. In Noah's case, Kara knew she had to file for guardianship when he turned 18, but she dreaded it. I never wanted to do that, right? You never want to say to a person, you can't make your own decisions, you're not capable, so here I am coming in to save the day. I never wanted to do that. Kara took Noah to a workshop about guardianships to help him understand the process that they would be going through which brought up a question in Noah's mind. He goes, where are we going to put it? Kara was confused. Where were they going to put what? He goes, Mom, we have a camper. We have my golf cart. We have your car and dad's car. Where are we going to put the guardianship? <laughs> like a boat. <laughs> Apparently, Noah thought a guardianship was an actual ship, which couldn't help but make Kara smile. But even still, when the day came to sit in a courtroom in front of a judge... Kara tried to hold back tears. The judge was thankfully incredibly kind. She had seen Noah on the news and knew what a popular guy he was. And she acknowledged that his popularity was for good reason. And she said, but here's the part, you know, that we have to say out loud. And I, it makes me uncomfortable, but it's required by law. And the tears just start rolling. Kara couldn't hold back. She started bawling. 
The judge continued with the proceedings and afterwards approached Kara kindly, saying that she's never seen someone start crying like that over a guardianship before. I said, it just breaks my heart that, you know, we have to use this kind of language when, is he incompetent? No. He's competent in so many things people in this room have no idea about. But yeah, if he signed up for a credit card, he wouldn't know what he was doing. If he, you know, so I get it that that's what we're doing to protect him from, but that was a hard day. That was a hard process. And people don't think about that when they're cute and little. And you don't realize that one day before you know it, you're going to be sitting in that courtroom. And that's what you have to do. But like everything else, Kara had to admire how Noah took it in stride. Anyone voices seem annoyed and you feel the music. Today, Noah lives a life as vibrant as ever. I have a, a new dog in a seal. He's a high-functional young man. Gets around, talks, tells you jokes, loves to eat. Just like us. He finds himself spending a lot of time singing in the church choir and volunteering in the community, including with the local police department, where he knows everyone's names. He has brought a lot of those people into our lives we would have never known. We see so many people who go above and beyond in their lives for other people, and we would not have seen that without him. And Noah's personality continues to make Kara smile. He asked me, who do you love the most? And I said, Noah, you know, it's pretty clear in the Bible that you're supposed to love God first, then your dad, and then you and your sisters. Well, Mom, I don't like it like that. You can love God, but then you got to love me. And I said, no, that's not how it works. A few days later, he comes into my room. He said, Mom, I had a little talk with Jesus last night. I said, you did? Yeah, he came in my room, and we talked about it. And he said, it's okay if you love me more than Dad. (laughs) No, (laughs) that did not happen. He's very creative. He's continued to keep a presence in the public eye as well, being featured on the news at his first game as an assistant coach in the Miracle Baseball League, a sports league for children and adults with special needs. And I love this. In 2018, he was asked to sing the national anthem at Life Fest, which is a massive Christian music festival in Wisconsin, where he soloed in front of more than 20,000 people. Also recently even threw out the first pitch at a minor league baseball game. And as far as having Down syndrome goes, no one knows he has something like it, but he doesn't really think about it as making him different than everyone else. I think at some point in time, someone must have said that to him. Like, well, no, you can't do that because you have Down syndrome. Like, I don't think that came out of us, but someone probably did. Kara found out when one day Noah didn't feel like doing something he was asked to do, and he suddenly announced that he couldn't do it because he had, quote, the Down syndrome. He's like, well, you know, Mom, I can't do that. I have the Down syndrome. And I'm like, whoa, back up. And, you know, it was kind of a funny moment in this house because none of us had ever heard that before. So he'll try to get away with something and put it on that, like, oh, I can't uh, I can't take the garbage out tonight because, well, you know, I got the Down syndrome. I think he thinks of it more <laughs> like a cold. He understands he's different from other people, but he thinks everybody's different. 
he doesn't assign a negative meaning to it. And as far as career aspirations go, Noah has his own. Every now and then he'll say, I want to be a Jewish Catholic priest. <laughs> and we'll be like, I don't think that exists, buddy. God is my soul. And he brings joy to bring with my heart. And, and Jesus is in touch of his hands. He lives at home now, but has dreams of getting his own apartment someday. We think about building a side-by-side, like duplex or something, so that he can live in his side and we can live on our side. And we'll probably put a door on the wall in the middle, like adjoining hotel rooms. And he can come and go through there or because he's still going to want me to make him dinner. In the meantime, he continues to touch the lives of those around him. Which brings up that question again of why? If Noah was born without Down syndrome, would he have touched the hearts of others in the same way? Would he have been elected prom king at the school or made the news because both football teams were willing to throw away conventionalism in order to simply bring joy to a water boy or a hydration specialist, sorry, (laughs) during the final high school game of the season? Would people have cared about his reaction to his college acceptance letter? But you know, maybe that's just not a fair question to ask, because that's not how Noah was born. He was born who he is, and so his life and the events in it have played out the way they have. There is no alternative. Some people are like, oh, like, do you ever think about how things would be different if he didn't have it? And I'm like, no, because it's just my life. Like, I don't know. I give him crap like any other sister would. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I just don't think anything... I don't treat him any differently because he has a disability. <laughs> no one makes me want to be a better person. And every time I see him, it's lots of hugs. I think the girls um, would have been extraordinary people. But I think with having Noah, they have learned a lot of things, too, about being the kind of person who can put other people first. They're not the kind of people who look for their own needs in just about any situation. Noah's youngest sister, Jana, is just beginning her career as a special education teacher. Special ed wasn't really on my radar until I got into it. And obviously having a brother with a disability just like totally helps me and gives me um, support in how to help others because I've gone through it. And Jill chose to be a social worker, not because she ever felt forced to help her brother growing up, but because she found fulfillment in doing it voluntarily. Because how could you not love and serve someone who loves you and finds joy in simple moments? He's a cool dude. (laughs) He's nice to everyone. I don't know. He's just different, I guess. I don't know what makes him so different other than he's so uniquely him. He changes every moment of our life. And today, Kara remembers back to that day more than two decades ago when she was sitting in her office, having just hung up the phone with the doctor, left to face a diagnosis she never wanted. At the time, she had felt like the world was collapsing around her. What horrible, life-changing news. And you know, perhaps she had been right about that, at least in part. In a way, everything since that day had been totally normal. But in another sense, it had been life-changing. (laughs) 
now when Kara meets new moms who learn their own child is or will be born with Down syndrome, she sees things in a totally different light. I think a big piece for me is being able to come alongside some other moms who have a new baby and are scared to death to be able to say, I don't know what's going to happen between now and the future, but you're going to be okay. And um, I, I think that helps to see someone who's feels like this wasn't a tragedy. They are, um, because it never was. Special thanks to the entire Van Voren family for sharing their story with us. There are some people who just give you good vibes when you talk to them, and they are those people. If you know anyone who would be uplifted by hearing about Noah, please don't hesitate to share this episode with them. Our goal is to cut through the darkness out there with stories of hope and goodness. And if you really feel moved to, you can, of course, leave us a five-star review or support us on Patreon. In fact, I've said I would read comments from patrons in the $10 tier. And Alex Price wrote about episode one, quote, Whoa, crazy story. I love how it's only until way after it's all happened that he realizes he can't remember the individual that set him on the life-saving path. We likely all have these types of angels in our lives, and we don't even know it. Indeed, Alex. Indeed. Oh, and in other news, we did find out that Positivity won two awards at the PopCon podcast competition. We entered the family category as well as the religion and spirituality category, and we won the top prize for both. So we are excited about that. Of course, couldn't be possible without any of you. And finally, we wanted to offer our love and support to the family of Joanne Rushton. She's the amazing woman I interviewed for episode five about how she and her husband Jack had lived this fulfilling life, even with Jack having quadriplegia. Joanne recently passed away from the effects of ALS, and I will miss having her as my neighbor, but I do take comfort in the belief that she has been reunited with Jack once again. And of course, to all of you, Thank you for your generous support, for your patience, for how long it took me to get this episode out there. And always remember, you're worth more than you know. Mm -hmm.